if my grandpa had a sex change, she'd be my grandma. Welcome to episode number 14 of Grumpy Old Benz. I am Darren O'Neill coming to you live from a bunker deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, where summer is here, the storms are here, the barbecue's still good, and the liberals are still on parade. And from America's left coast, where the people are so friendly, they're giving out free milkshakes. I'm Ryan Bemrose. Well, they're, they're only free if they throw them at you. And yes, we are live right now on the No Agenda stream. This is a rarity for Grumpy Old Ben's, but hi, JC Jr. We are live. And the beautiful thing about this is Sir Bemrose hates that little 25 second intro to the show, and he never has to listen to it because it's always just put in in the post. So it's nice to be able to throw that in and make you listen to it and get you in the right mindset. And let me tell you, I am now sufficiently triggered. Well, that is good. Triggered is good. It gets you going. It gets the blood flowing. It gets those synapses in your brain excited to do the show. And today we're doing a show about the Electoral College, something that has been on your list for a while to talk about. And it seemed really apropos at this point due to the amount of people talking about the Electoral College. It's a very one-sided conversation lately, and we thought we would kind of look into why it was put into place and what it does compared to other systems of electing an official, and then we would kind of go on the pros and cons of whether we thought this was a good idea or a bad idea and where we saw this going in the United States. Does that pretty much cover it? Well, broadly speaking, there's two camps, uh, two, two schools of thought regarding the Electoral College, and those are people who think that it should be abolished, also known as the losers of the last election, and the people who think that it's perfectly <laughs> fine, also known as the people who won the last election. That is usually how it is. In this particular case, those aligned to the Democrats and Republicans, respectively, uh, it has been the opposite in the past, although this is uh, the grapes are even more sour today for the last three years than they were in 2000, the last time that I really remember the talk about abolishing the Electoral College ramp up. Well, the interesting thing to me is this system has been in place for the history of this country. This isn't something new, so it's always been the way it has been. So when you start looking back and having to say, well, we would have won if the rules were different is one of the most annoying things to me because to me it's like you play any kind of game and you lose and you decide you know if this was checkers you go well you know what if i could have only moved my piece you know two squares at a time i would have won well you don't know that if only i had been allowed to cheat and rewrite the outcome of the game i would have won well yes and that's what that concept really annoys me because people talk about this like it's a foregone conclusion saying, well, if we didn't have the Electoral College, President Trump wouldn't have won. George Bush wouldn't have won. We they speak like they know that's a very specific like whether or not the 2016 election would have gone differently is a very specific application. And obviously, it's the one that's been on everybody's minds, especially the people for for whom Trump has been living rent free in their heads for three and a half years. 
but let's go ahead and start with a, a history of, of why, you know, the, the electoral college is, it frankly is a fucking weird way to pick a leader. Let's go ahead and start with why it was even chosen that way and maybe even give a primer about what it is just for the three people who might be listening to Grumpy Old Ben's but haven't heard of it, who are probably Europeans. One, we have another rarity for Grumpy Old Ben's, and we have a clip that explains a lot of things. Our buddy Gene Witch pointed this one out to us. This was from a radio show back in 1960 called Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. This was an ad that ran during that show about the electoral college. And I just thought it was interesting from a bunch of different perspectives. One, you're going back to 1960s. You're going a decent amount back in the past. That's good. That's good math. Yes. I 59. Sorry. Math, math, math can be hard, but you're going a decent amount back in the past. And you're going to hear basically a primer to them at the time, to the people listening. And the fact that this was, a commercial during a radio show, this would be like something if this was running during a television show. Now, I think people would find it to be a very odd thing to be on the air, but uh, let me play this clip. It's about two minutes long and that'll probably the only clip we ever play on grumpy old Ben's or at least for a long time. But I thought this gave an interesting perspective on at least where the mindset was about the electoral college. 59 years ago. Who'd you vote for in the last general election? You may not realize it, but you voted for someone you probably never heard of and whose name may not have appeared on your ballot. And who was this stranger? He was the elector appointed by your state to decide who was to be our president. Every state has as many electors as it has representatives and senators in Congress combined. Collectively, they're called the Electoral College. And it's the members of the Electoral College alone who can vote for the President of the United States. Your vote was cast for the group of electors that pledged itself to vote for either the Democratic or Republican nominee. But you did not vote directly for either candidate. A roundabout way of doing things? Yes. But you must remember that when the Constitution was written, there was no television, no radio, and few newspapers. The majority of voters had never traveled more than a few miles from their own homes. In these circumstances, it was impossible for a voter in Maine to know about the great public figures of New York or Pennsylvania, Virginia or South Carolina. There were not even any political parties to guide him. And so the voter in Maine didn't try to do the impossible. He voted for someone who did know the great men of the times and who could render an intelligent decision as to which one of them should make the best president. The system has its faults. Three times in our history, the man who got the most votes from the people was not elected president because he did not get the most votes in the Electoral College. Yet no one today seriously proposes to abolish the Electoral College because by and large, the people believe that in spite of its drawbacks, the present system of electing our president ensures that your country and mine shall be our country under God. No one 60 years ago was seriously recommending abolishing it. That's definitely happening now with people who have no historical knowledge and uh, also really don't have any respect for what we've done in the past. Right. Well, they're, they're because, again, the, they go back on a lot of this stuff, including the 
gun rights with, well, you know, they could have never, the founders, they could have never even imagined where we would be today with the kind of weapons we could have had. And it's like, well, yes, they do, because it was all in relation to. They actually had pretty good imaginations. Yeah. And it was all in relation to not letting a government roll over its citizens with weapons. So, you know, the government still has better weapons than the citizens, at least last I checked. Do you have a do you have a, like a fighter jet or any like some any nuclear missiles or anything like that? Sir Bemers? I, I do. I paid a significant portion of my income toward one. Uh, I just they no. don't let me touch it because of the incident. We don't talk about the incident, but. The interesting thing in that clip was they do talk about the three times that it happened a few times since then, where the winner of the presidential election didn't get the popular votes. And they're talking even back then that this was a drawback if this was somehow a flaw in the system. But to me, the fact that that can happen doesn't mean it's a flaw in the system. It means that the system is working absolutely as it should is it not well my favorite short quote for uh that is is from no agenda where john and adam say well the electoral college was intended to make sure that the wrong candidate doesn't get elected and it worked and and that's a little bit simplistic (laughs) and and depending on which side you land on then maybe it you you would dispute that it worked or that the wrong candidate didn't get elected But my favorite origin story, the rationale from way back in the day about why the Electoral College exists uh, has to do with the composition of the 13 colonies. When they were originally creating it, uh, everything was concentrated on the East Coast. And in particular, you had a couple of dense population centers. You had New York, you had Boston, you had maybe a couple other cities, Philadelphia, And then you had a lot of rural area. And remember that when the Constitution was drafted, it was all about creating a balance between all of these states, which for the most part, they were willing to become 13 completely independent, separate countries that had nothing to do with each other. And the people creating the Constitution, creating this government, were trying to come up with a way that you could get. Massachusetts and New York and Virginia and South Carolina and Georgia all on the same page. And for that, one of the things that you absolutely have to do is strike a balance between urban and rural. The problem was that if you went by straight population, it was pretty easy to see, even back in 1780s, exactly what has happened today, which is as cities grow larger, as urban populations go, a straight population count will very, very, very quickly lead to a tyranny of the majority where people in urban areas start to completely own uh, everything to do with the country. And anybody in a less densely populated, lower population rural area is going to become completely disenfranchised because the majority of voters in an urban area, which will compose most of the people in the country, will not have any clue what uh, issues face a rural person, what problems might arise, and will start creating policies that serve the city dweller to the exclusion of the rural dweller. And this was something that they took account of way back when a densely populated city was 80,000 people. And it was you know, uh, the the city of New York in 1780 was uh, about the size of the city of Peoria now. 
The other thing that uh, I believe uh, John Madison called out as a potential problem also had to do with the urban and rural thing. And that is uh, urban areas also had already had a form of governance. Each city has a mayor. And if you have a city that has a collection of cities, which have more than 50% of the population, then the mayors of those cities become the de facto rulers of the entire country because they hold sway over the voting population. And again, the failure mode that the founders of the country did not want. Well, and there is a push also to get people into the cities now. This has been going on. This has been a democratic thing for a couple of decades. They want people, rather than moving out to the suburbs, they want everybody in that one little area. And there's a variety of reasons for it. And there's, it's easy to sell. It's like, well, it's so much more convenient. There's a variety of good reasons to keep your population density high, many of which are environmental. There's also a lot of possibly nefarious reasons when you come down to looking at things like gerrymandering the districts and that, which I know a judge had just ruled against the, you know, the Democrats, because this is another thing that I was found was interesting here in the Chicago area. I'm sure it's nowhere near unique to the rest of the country, but you can redistrict like where, you know, where somebody's political district ends, you know, they go, well, how many people, but they're not square. I mean, there's sometimes there's a little like area and then it goes wide because they're trying to get a certain population, not square. They're the wiggliest things in the world. Yes. It's, it's not even close. So it's like, you know what they're doing. They're using this in order to get or keep political power. And that's a big problem when it comes to a lot of this stuff. And the electoral college was definitely set up in order to keep the areas of, like you said, we have a few major metropolitan areas in the United States. Chicago, LA, New York, and you take those areas and the amount of population that's in them compared to the rest of the country. It's not hard to find a map that shows this, which is, you know, show me by the population who is the, you know, the Democratic voters, who's in these very populated areas and who's outside. And the amount of land mass that a majority of these voters take up is actually very small when you look at the overall landmass of the country. And that the problem with that becomes there's a totally different way of life in Wyoming than there is in the city of New York or the city of Los Angeles. And this system was set up to make these states still have something to say about presidential elections rather than just being majority rule. There are a lot of democracies, if we look at the history of the world, that have fallen apart because of the fact that mob rule took over. And let's be honest, mobs aren't always the smartest people that end up taking control and and things go horribly, horribly wrong for that reason. But the other reason they set this up, according to the Federalist Papers that uh, Alexander Hamilton wrote, was basically they didn't want mob rule and they thought the individual person was overall, I'm not going to say an idiot, but it kind of seems that way. Like more than that, that they're not up on who these people are. And the interesting thing doing a little bit of research into this was the electoral college seems to have been one of the major reasons that it was put into place was because some buffoon that everybody likes could get elected and that could be dangerous. So. 
<laughs> what are we uh, looking that, at? That is what happened in 2016. And a lot of people think it's dangerous. Well, and they do. I, although I, there's a lot of debate on that because I think Trump is way smarter than people give him credit for. And we're not really here to people don't um, give Trump any credit. So that's not hard to do. Th- yeah, you're absolutely right about that. But it's interesting to me that the Electoral College was put into place in order to keep, you know, a charlatan, somebody not qualified for the job from getting into office. And well, it also did that in 2016. Well, you well, we kept Hillary out. That's right. Um, but this is very true that right now you have the Democrats are the side and you're right. It's because it costs them a couple of elections. They're looking at that Oh, without the Electoral College, we would have won. And they're thinking that we, if we got rid of this, we'd be we'd be in, we'd be in high cotton, as they used to say. And I, I don't really believe that's the case either. But it's irony that the system was put into place to keep somebody that the Democrats would think, you know, epitomizing would be Trump, the type of person this was put into place to keep out of office. It was put into place to keep somebody like that out of office. But now the Democrats want to get rid of it because they think it put one in off. So who's right or who's wrong, I guess. I think that the most ironic thing about the Electoral College is the original reason why it was put in was by the interpretation I'm about to present. It was an SJW reason. The people who were framing the Constitution actually wanted to promote diversity. And the biggest diversity issue of the day was the urban versus rural divide. And even back then, they all understood that a failure mode of democracies is a tyranny of the majority. And when you have the majority of people all focused into a city, The only perspective they have is a city perspective. So they were actually trying to make sure that different demographic groups got representation in Congress and from the presidency. And the different demographic groups, again, were at the time they didn't really consider people that weren't white uh, to be a useful demographic group. And that's that's a failing that that gets mentioned about every 30 seconds by uh, the the Democrats, but uh, of the people that they considered, you know, useful demographic groups, which was for the most part, white males in cities and white males in rural areas, they wanted to enforce diversity. And, you know, the, the failure of diversity is a tyranny of the majority where the majority group gets together and makes rules and stomps all over the minority. And the reason I called it an irony is that that right there is uh, what it's the doomsday scenario for people voting Democrat because, oh my God, there's more white people in America. And if all the white people got together and voted as a block, not that that could ever happen, then they could completely disenfranchise everybody who's not white. And yes, they could. It won't happen. But you know who does vote much more as a block is people whose living conditions are only about urban problems and they only think about urban situations and they only know urban issues and lifestyle. And when those people get together and vote as a block, they have the majority of the country. And if there's no check or balance to say that the rural people must be represented somewhere, then rural America will completely die under the weight of what will seem to them to be a dictatorship of people 
who only consider urban problems because they're only voted in by urban people. Right. And nobody wants to think about, well, we're, we're in a city. So, you know, they're just hillbillies out there in the rural area. Why they don't even know what they're doing. They should listen to us and do what we say. And it's, you know, it's something that doesn't work. Cause they're the ones that call for a diversity, but they don't really want diversity. If somebody is different than them, that diversity is always conditional. You want diversity in the issues that you think should be diverse. And diversity in the issues that are inconvenient, like urban versus rural, you either actively call for the destruction of that diversity and monogamy, uh, uniformity, or you just sweep it under the rug. The interesting thing about the way the Electoral College works is that 48 states treat this a little bit differently than two other ones. I don't remember which are which. I should have probably written that down. Uh, but 48 of the states that would have involved research. I know 48 states, almost all of the states give 100 percent of their electoral votes to the person that won the election in that state. It doesn't matter if the person won, you know, 100 to zero or whether they won 51 to 49 percent, they get all of the electoral votes. And this would be the one place that I could get behind making a change because every state decided how to do this. And it's probably just due to the fact of easiness because the amount of uh, your people that you have this, the basically the way the system works is by the sheer power of a search engine. Those states are Nebraska and Maine. You are. Hopefully it wasn't Google. Hopefully it was duck, duck, go was in fact, duck, duck, go. Yes. (laughs) But this is the interesting thing to me is, you know, let's say there is a vote in Illinois or in California, which is something we've talked about. And this is the big fallacy of, well, you know, Hillary would have won if we didn't have the electoral college. Well, I live in Illinois and I didn't go out to vote because I had other you know, health issues going on with my eye. And I was like, well, I, my vote's not going to count because the state of Illinois is never going to go for anybody but Hillary. So I stayed home. There was a lot of people like that in California. And I, I did not stay home, but I voted for the candidate that I wanted to vote because there was absolutely no chance in my left coast state that anybody but Hillary was going to take all of the electors. So my vote didn't count. You voted for John C. Dvorak. I, uh, John Fletcher, 2020. Hey, I've heard that there is a, I heard there is a big push for that. Uh, he has some uh, things to go through before that can happen to become the first uh, really good candidate, but that's completely off the mark. Now, the way the electoral college works is you're not really voting for president. You're voting for the electors who is then a group of people that really nobody knows even who they are. And they only assemble once. And it's, and the people that go to these conventions are actually the one that vote for president. And this is happening sometime in December where the popular vote happens in November. So if you have say 20 people from your state that are electors, they go in December and they vote for president. And at this point, 48 of the states, they get 100% of those people. So if you have 20 for your state and somebody wins the election for president by one vote in your state, all 20 of those electors go to that person. Now, I could see a change and I, I can't really complain about the fairness of it if you were to somehow then distribute those people differently. If you if you won by one vote, then maybe the those 20 votes should be split 10 and 10. Uh, well, that might make it a little more fair. I have an interesting anecdote on the if you won by one vote, and it has to do with the Washington governor's election for 2004, <laughs> where 
there was a Republican and a Democrat, and the state was fairly evenly split at the time to the point where the vote counts, I think the total votes out of a 9 million person state, the difference was something like 600 votes, which was enough to trigger an automatic recount. And then when they recounted, the most populous county in the state, uh, during the course of the recount, they went back into some disused closets and found a few more boxes of ballots. And suddenly on the recount, <laughs> uh, the difference was much closer. It was instead of the Republican by 600 votes, it was the Republican by only 150 votes. And then the Democrat candidate said, this is way too close and sued in the Supreme Court. And after a lengthy Supreme Court battle, they ended up ordering a second recount. And in the second recount, the again, King County, the most populous county in the state, the most Democrat county in the state, happened to find another disused lavatory full of boxes of uncounted ballots. And suddenly it was the Democrat (laughs) candidate by 20 votes. Uh, It was exactly the European Union method of uh, let's keep recounting until we get the result that we want. Right. Which is a very big problem. That that was a complete side anecdote. That was me dragging us off the rails. But it actually happened to our our process where if you think your vote counts because it might be very close, it still doesn't. Well, that is what we come down to in the fact that voter fraud is another big topic and probably one worthy of its uh, worthy of its own episode. But I think when you start going to the concept, well, one vote equals one vote. You start dealing with a whole new level of possible fraudulent activities that are going to happen. I mean, more people voted, I believe, in California in the last election that are on their census roll. So I don't know how that happens. But well, it's because the census roll doesn't include illegals. Well, right. And they all can go vote because that's absolutely okay, even though they don't have the right to. So even this again, we're coming down to a point where we have so much technology that we still can't figure out how to have a fair election. And it's probably getting worse rather than better due to technology, because it at least it used to be when somebody was doing a paper ballot and there were as long as you trusted the people counting everything which i don't it was pretty i mean there were going to be mistakes well right but there were going to be mistakes but it would be very hard to to sway an election by infiltrating the people that are counting the votes the advantage to the paper ballot is that it is theoretically possible to audit afterward and with the paper ballots with the with the hanging chads if we all remember the bush and gore election that we, happened we, the, we the, don't all remember that because that was 20 years ago and oh a, man see this is where the old part too young of grumpy yeah the old part of grumpy old ben's is really coming into into play but the, the point with those paper cards the genius face it darren we're ancient i know the 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 genius though of those punch cards were if you actually punched the ticket for al gore nobody can make it look like you voted for Bush. I mean, they could punch the Bush thing and then nobody gets the vote, which, you know, I guess could technically be used, but it makes it much harder than some of these electronic systems now where they're finding out, oh, well, I pushed the Bush button, but I got Clinton, you know, and there's no way without a paper printout, which there are some places that don't even do the paper printout, I believe, that you put in that it's all just electronic. It becomes very hard to to get a fair election which again is one of the reasons why the electoral college 
went with the system that it did. There was a, uh, the website I found this on was historycentral.com. So history central, the, you know, the network on uh, cable TV, they said they put this into effect because they were afraid the founding fathers of the direct election of a president. They feared that a tyrant, people are calling Trump a tyrant, aren't they? A, a tyrant could manipulate public opinion and come to power. Alexander Hamilton wrote, it was equally desirable that the immediate election should be made by men most capable of analyzing the qualities adapted to the station and acting under circumstances favorable to deliberation and to a judicious combination of all the reasons and inducements which were proper to govern their choice. A small number of persons selected by their fellow citizens from the general mass would be most likely to possess the information of discernment requisite of such complicated investigations. It was also peculiarly desirable to afford as little opportunity as possible to tumult and disorder. We had a lot of that going on. This evil was not least to be dreaded in the election of a magistrate who has to have so important an agency in the administration of the government as the president of the United States. But the precautions which have been made so happily concerted in the system under consideration promise an effectual security against this mischief. So basically, the concept was these people that were elected to be the ones to elect would be smarter than the average person. And they're basically saying, let's just say there was a con man who somehow got the popular vote. It's what they're saying is the electoral college, their job is to go, <laughs> wait a minute, screw that. We're not letting him be the president. I don't know if we'll ever see that because I don't believe that this portion of what the electoral college was supposed to do, which is no better than other people. Can you imagine the insanity? And people talked about this possibly happening when Trump was elected. Hey, what happens if the electors, man, what if they don't, what if they don't place their votes for Trump? Can you imagine what would happen in this country if that would have happened or this would happen in the future that Trump wins again? Let's say he wins reelection and the electors go, no, he's not good for this country. We're not we're not going to let him be the president. What would happen? I'm sorry. I nutted off there a little bit. You need caffeine. I do. Uh, actually, I, uh, I, in proud tradition, when when you were on a roll, I, I had to step away for a moment. We had a propane tank fall over outside. Oh, that's dangerous. This is why doing live grumpy old Ben's is dangerous. You could, I'm glad it didn't explode or anything. That would be, <laughs> that would be hard to finish the show. <laughs> These things are usually made sturdier than that, but at the same time, it's, it made an awful racket. So anyways, yeah. you and, were and making a point. Progo answered the question, though. Progo in the chat room answered the question for us. Brendan Kidwell, who was on the last episode and said there would be civil war. And I kind of agree with that. What do you think? I think we're on our way to civil war anyway. Uh, so we may but, as well do but, it. Well, I, I, I'm not actually a proponent of this. I am a proponent of maybe everybody calm the fuck down and start having rational discussions again. But we might be beyond that. And I think that that doing that might require the abolishment of what is currently considered or called journalism, even though they're not. And, and that that runs into some constitutional issues with the First Amendment. So going to be tough. But it is just think about that. The Electoral College was put into power. In order to make a decision that says the public was too stupid and made a choice that was going to be dangerous to the republic, so we're going to put somebody else into power rather than what was voted on. I mean, that is a wild thought in this day and age. 
that would be the end of the this beautiful 270 year experiment in or 250 whatever uh, in creating a constitutional democracy i mean we've had plenty of places in this in this country especially even in the last couple decades where bits of the constitution have been uh, strongly bent or even conveniently ignored in a couple places but we haven't yet had somebody brazenly break and throw away parts of the constitution simply because they were inconvenient well at least they haven't said that well that's the interesting question here the electoral college would put into place to possibly keep somebody who is going to be dangerous for the republic out of office is is this possibly what the democrats are setting up because they talked about it in 2016 uh, what if the electors don't vote for him well, what if this is finally how they think they're going to take trump out of office because there are some states who are changing their laws and the the constitutionality of this is very questionable. The legality of this is very questionable. But there have been a few states that have decided that rather than the state of Illinois, that this Illinois is not one of them, I don't believe. But the state is saying rather than going by what our voters and our state voted to give the electoral votes, we're going by the popular vote for the country. And that is virtue signaling on the part of the oligarchs running the state. And if your state actually does that and has decided to do that, it is time to for the public who are suddenly being literally disenfranchised to either vote the corrupt people out of office or to if, if that doesn't work to rise up. And there are a few states where I think that the all of the sufficient conditions have been met. I, we just may not have reached the necessary ones yet. Well, and that is getting there. The first time that a a virtue signaling oligarch in charge of a state decides to pitch their electoral votes to somebody that the state did not ask for is going to be momentous. It hasn't happened yet. And so right now, everybody, all they're doing is saying, well, look how virtuous I am. I'm going to stick to these ideological ideals. And if they actually do it, then that's it's well, it's criminal. It's it literally violates the Constitution of the United States. But well, yeah, it literally is changing the rules. And if the if the public uh, there's one thing that says if the public puts up with it, then they deserve what they get. But that is that is an example of stereotyping the entire public and lumping them into a group, which I know from personal experience, you know, the the public in in my state uh, would really like to ban all guns and the public would like to institute socialism and the public just about voted in a carbon tax. And, uh, you know, if you say that people get the government that they deserve, which is a fairly a, a common platitude, you know, people always get the government they deserve. Well, I mean, that's true on a broad stroke, but why the fuck do I have to get the government that they deserve? The main thing is you can't change the rules and doing a side run, something like these states. So if you're like, well, yeah, we're going to, you know, we're Colorado and whatever the Whatever the country votes, the popular vote, that's what we're going to make our electors vote. It changes the game without letting everybody play on the same playing field, which is the epitome of cheating. And it's interesting to me that you have a left in this country right now that's claiming we have an illegitimate president. Jimmy freaking Carter came out and said that Trump was an illegitimate president. It's like from somebody that actually sat in the office to come out and blather that kind of crap does nothing but hurt the country. Jimmy Carter hasn't been relevant 
since most of the people who are supporting what he's saying now have been alive. Well, and he wasn't relevant when he was a president. I mean, let's be, well, he was relevant. I, okay. But let me this, just give a little honest, history lesson. I don't lesson. remember very much about that. So go ahead and. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little history lesson of what I remember of the Jimmy Carter presidency. I was born during the Jimmy Carter presidency. So, well, I was, you know, when, when Reagan came into office, what it was 1980, I was 10 years old. But what I remember was at that time, Iran had taken a bunch of American hostages and when Jimmy Carter was president, and they were not letting him go. That didn't the it wasn't until Reagan took office, and it was like literally like the minute Reagan took office, they were like, Okay, you can go now. I mean, this was kind of like, you know, if you got kids and the you know, the dad's the hard ass and the you can mom will let him do anything, you know, and the mom's like, Well, when your dad gets home and they're like, ah, but then dad gets home and they run. Well, that was the big stick that Ronald Reagan brought to that game. And Jimmy Carter came off looking like a complete nincompoop. And I realized that even at 10 years old, that this was, you know, basically like there was no rule of law. Nobody was afraid of Jimmy Carter. And I'm not saying, you know, your country needs to be feared, but I guess, you know, being feared is a little bit better than being walked all over and having people uh, mistreated and all that kind of stuff. But Jimmy Carter was not the epitome of a strong president. If anything, he was a one-term president who was going to go down. Even Democrats will put him usually down on the list of not the greatest presidents we've ever had. He's pretty far, pretty far down that list. And he certainly doesn't do anything to help his long-term legacy to claim that a president was elected illegally or not you know wasn't really elected he's still going off on the russian collusion stuff and it's really scary to me i think after two years the russian collusion stuff might have finally sunk in and that's why it's coming out now <laughs> you think somebody might have figured out that it didn't actually happen well, or the, the you neurons know, don't fire quite as fast at that age <laughs> too much peanut butter i don't know what it is uh but you know i would again i would i would think the average person maybe can be snowed by a lot of the stuff that the media says. Did you like how I just stereotyped all old people? Yeah, I did, but I wasn't going to mention it. It's grumpy old Ben's. I mean, the old people are the ones that keep us going, you know, but yeah, Jimmy Carter, come on. I mean, you, as a president, you should still, you know, be in the know of what's going on as long as he's got his faculties. And I don't think he's got dementia or losing. He's probably in better mental health than Nancy Pelosi, but uh, I have a real problem when you have an ex-president come out and be like, you know, oh, Trump wasn't, you know, that his election was questionable and he was he's not a legitimate president. And then we're talking about let's get rid of the Electoral College and let's have these states that want to. Well, we're going to go by the popular vote. I really do wonder and worry about what happens in 2020 and uh, and Trump actually wins again. What is going to happen? Do you remember in 2008 when during the election cycle, when a number of people of of people who were quote unquote respected journalists were speculating openly about well you know George W Bush is such a dictator and is so authoritative that what if the the date of his term expiration comes and he just doesn't leave the white house what will we do and will we have to start a civil war or will we have to start proceedings or what if what if he refuses to go and as soon as Obama was elected and took office, 
we almost didn't hear anything from George W. Bush ever again because his term ended and he stepped down and stepped out of the limelight. And the idea of a president, I mean, I, I, I think what you will about what he did while he was in office. And he did a lot of things that a lot of people didn't like. But as soon as he was out of office, he stopped trying to run the country. And I can respect that a lot because when you're not president, you shouldn't be trying to run the country. And in my lifetime, people who have weighed in on public affairs, basically saying that their successors have been terrible and telling them how to run the country, you know, Obama does it all the fucking time. Apparently, Carter does it. Bill Clinton did it, but his wife is much worse about it. But it's interesting that there have been certain presidents who were like, yep, I did my thing and I, my time's up and now I'm done. And there are other presidents who step out and still try to steal the public, public limelight and act like they still know what's best for the country. And there's uh, the, the ones that know when to shut up because they're not relevant anymore. Definitely get a lot more respect. Well, right. Well, Obama, he sees his legacy going in the complete opposite direction. I can see where he might be a little bit depressed that the antithesis of everything he said for eight years as president beat Hillary Clinton, where Hillary overall was going to be a let's continue to follow this, the Obama path, more or less. The the election of Trump had to be a a personal affront to Obama and, uh, you know, maybe rightfully so, but it, it also shows why the Electoral College is important, because it shows that not 100 percent of the people were behind what Obama wanted to do. And when we look at these popular votes for president, the amount of votes that are swinging the election are not that high. They're really it's when you look at if we were to look at the popular vote, it's not like somebody's running away when you say, well, the Electoral College is so unfair. It's not like 60 percent of the country voted for the other guy or 55. It's usually within like a percent or so. And one of the interesting things, if you look, especially back at the the last election that Hillary likes to claim that she law or she won and this wasn't fair, like Jimmy Carter's claiming. If you were to take California, that's all. Just take California out, leave the other 49 states in. Trump wins by a pretty large margin. Uh, but how, how are you proposing we take California out? Are you thinking like uh, a man-made earthquake Explosive. or? Yeah. Okay. I mean, if we could do a lot of explosives right along the borders. And you know what? Just the big cities. That's all we really need to make. Little- As Maynard James Keenan once said. Learn to swim. I'll see you down in Arizona Bay. Yeah. I mean, push them out to push them out to the uh, into the ocean and everybody would be better off because this is, you know, this is the intriguing thing with (laughs) advocating mass murder is never okay. No, is not actually suggesting we kill all Californians. I don't want to kill them. I just want to separate them from the rest of the country and push them out a little bit so they could be their own country. I don't want to kill them. I want them to live on their own because we see what's happening in San Francisco where they're pooping on the street. And we see LA where Dr. Drew Pinsky is just like, we're going to see another freaking plague, man, because things are just being that badly run. People are, you know, crapping in the streets. Disease is running rampant. 
And, you know, these are the people that want to control the rest of the country. And then they wonder why people aren't up for it. Let's face it. The smart Californians are already leaving California. They're moving to Seattle. They're moving to Portland. They're moving to Austin in droves, which is why everybody in Austin wants to move out of there now. Can you blame them? It's full of Californians. I know it wouldn't be good, but that's you look at these things and you're like, oh, well, they won the popular vote. And again, I'm going to keep harping on the fact that. It's changing the rules of a game after it's been played. Go play a round of golf with your best friend, bet a thousand bucks on it. And then when you lose, you know, when you get down and you're having a beer after you play your round, go, well, you know what? I'm changing the rules. The the high score actually wins. How's that going to go? It's not. It just makes no logical sense. But that's what they want to do. They want to change the rules. Uh, They want to use the existing results with completely different rules and it's like no you have to know the rules going in and this 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 makes me understand why they don't understand climate change because again they don't understand cause and effect they just think if you look at something here and change this one thing here and go well if we didn't have this this would have happened it's like no you have to the changing the rules argument uh rests on the assumption that you are the only person treating the entire thing uh, uh in in terms of game theory that you are the only person trying to optimize everything for your preferred outcome. And if you are the only one who, if you say, I want to change the rules, but not tell everybody you're going to get the same result. But yes, I think your point exactly is if you change the rules and, and in particular for the 2016 election, if the electoral college had not been in place, the first thing that you would have seen was that Donald Trump would have actually campaigned in California because he didn't right. at all, because there was no point ever. He was never going to get an, a single electoral vote from California. Why would you ever bother visiting? Them? And same thing with the other left coast states. Same thing with all of the guaranteed blue states. Uh, the only place that you campaign in the electoral college is the swing states, because that's how the game is played. If you change it so that it's all popular vote, you're going to see different tactics on the campaigns and you're going to see different voting methods. If I had been in a state where I wasn't absolutely certain that nothing I did could have possibly mattered and my state's votes were going to go to Hillary, no matter how it worked, there's a chance that I might have voted more strategically. I might have voted in such a way to try to optimize for the outcome that I wanted. But because I was in a situation, being in a non-swing state, where there was no way that I could vote to optimize for any outcome that I may have wanted, instead, I just decided to virtue signal with my vote and vote for the party who actually met my interests. Right. Now, how do you feel about that whole concept? That's one of the arguments against the electoral colleges. Hey, they're only going to go to the, the swing states and everybody else gets screwed. The way I look at it is, well, you know how everybody else is voting. so. You have to focus on those people. I don't necessarily see that as a horrible thing, but I can see where you could use it as a reason to try to get rid of the Electoral College. I think that if you are in a state where you are guaranteed to go to the candidate from one party, no matter what, because the entire state is just that far on the political spectrum and you want your state to matter then maybe what you need to do is try to come up with some kind of a a campaign or public relations thing where you maybe try to convince your fellow populace that stop being sheep. Right. Use your vote and make it count. And, 
you know, that's it's good and, to and be in a swing state. You don't do that every four years in a presidential election, which is the only place where the the Electoral College matters. You do that every year or every two years in your local elections. If every single local election goes exactly one way, then no, there's no possible way you're going to do anything about the national presidential election. But that is the very, very last step in a long string of trying to affect local politics to get people to understand the ramifications of what they're doing. And, you know, people who say, oh, well, I wasn't in a swing state and therefore there was no point in me even going to the polls. Well, that's really short-sighted because only one of the things that people were asked on the polls was, who do you want for president? Lots of other things asked, like, which of these corrupt Democrats do you want to represent you (laughs) in? Oh, well, that might be Chicago. But there are all kinds of local elections. And if you do your research and vote for who you want in the local election, I mean, you're probably going to encounter the same thing on a local level. My, My representative to the local state legislature just sent out a a notice that said, uh, you know, hey, I've been really happy serving you for the last 26 years, but I'm thinking about retiring. And I'm like, you fucker, how did you manage to <laughs> get? I, I, why have I voted against you every single year I've ever lived here? And I've been in, in this city for more than a decade. How is it I have voted against you every single year? And somehow you haven't even bothered to campaign. I barely know the asshole's name, but because he has a D next to his name on the ballot, he wins every local race. But here's the thing. He represents about 30,000 people. And if I were able to, then changing the minds of 30,000 people in my local district is almost doable compared to changing the lives of 9 million people in my entire state. Well, yeah, that is a little bit easier than that. Well, it's like California with their concept of not putting the dnr now on the ballot and so my advice to people who say well uh obviously my state only swings one way so i might as well not vote is go vote leave president blank if you want but have an impact on your local because if even thirty thousand people maybe you can't control thirty thousand people but maybe you start with your city council position of 300 and i guarantee that your vote actually has a chance of counting Assuming you're not in the most populous county in the state where they just find new boxes and revote when they don't want. But but that's not <laughs> hey, there's always there's always more boxes. And I mean, the biggest problem is and there's probably a whole nother episode in this as well, which would be the partisan nature of politics. It's gotten so much worse over my lifetime. You know, even recently when the second Richard Daly was mayor of Chicago. It was it's this is interesting stuff to watch because you, you've had more than one Richard Daly? What yes, is this some it, kind it of a, his, a dynasty fiefdom or something? <laughs> yeah, pretty what much. Is his wrong father with was your mayor. City? And then we had, you know, Harold Washington and Jane Byrne and uh you know, I don't know the mayor now, but now we have a black lesbian mayor, which is great because she actually seems like she's tougher on crime than uh, Rahm Emanuel was. Uh but when the second Richard Daly was in office, he and George W. Bush got along really well. There were a couple of times Bush came to town. I think he even rode with Daly in one of these uh, parades. I forget what it was even for. Maybe it was the uh, St. Patrick's Day parade, but there was something that they rode together in a parade. They were kind of like buddy, buddy. And he took a lot of shit for that. It's just because, you know, Bush has the R next to his name and he's a Democrat and the concept that the other side is the enemy is a really big problem with politics in this country because it it takes reason 
out of the window, which is something the Electoral College was trying to keep in, which was to not let something get to that extreme. But that was that was also why the Electoral College uh, didn't let the stupid population vote for president. They had they said, we want you to elect smart people who can use reason. Yes. And it's not on the same day, which is also something people don't realize. You know, this happened sometime in December where the actual voting by the populace happens in November. So the president isn't technically elected for like another month. That would never fly in the age of exit polls. <laughs> well, come on. Let's talk about that for a brief second. 2016, the, the Trump election. I remember the morning of that election very well talking to my mom and she was not a fan of Hillary. And she was like, well, yeah, you know, it looks like Hillary's going to win. Nothing we can do. And I'm like, I don't trust the polls. I do not trust the polls. Those polls are an emergent property of the increasing bias in the media. The media during the 2016 campaign were so biased. Uh, they, they skewed to the left harder than any other. Well, they, they skewed one way harder than the mainstream media has at any point in my lifetime. And, and I don't want to say ever in the country because there were some pretty contentious and amazing elections in the first few elections of this country. But at any point in my lifetime, the media has never skewed so hard in one direction and so much in favor of one candidate over the other. And that combined with not just mainstream media, but social media where campaigns existed that if you ever said, I, I approve of President Trump, then on Facebook, everybody that you know will suddenly descend on you and tell you how terrible you are. And again, in my left coast city, anybody who put a Trump 2016 sign in their yard was begging to get their house egged. It actually happened. <laughs> Roving people went around and vandalized the signs stole the signs. Somebody put up a big one that was two by four sunk in concrete that said Trump 2020. It was like a big one that you couldn't just take down. And somebody came in the middle of the night with a fucking chainsaw and sawed this thing <laughs> off at the ground. I mean, that is what people are doing to each other when you express support for one candidate. And you know what an interesting emergent property of that is, is if you are in a place where you are going to get somebody coming to your house with a chainsaw, if you express any support for Donald Trump, you're not going to mention what, that you support it, <laughs> but you're still going to vote that way. Right. There's a reason the votes are anonymous. There's a reason why you don't have to you know, wear who you voted for on your shirt while, you know, for for election day there's and some people still do and those people are idiots but yeah yeah well i mean I, hey you know what if you want to be a cheerleader that's one thing you know i'm not you're gonna probably take some crap no matter which side you're on but it really is the concept now that if you're on one side you have to be wrong if you're not on our side no matter what you do and again i'm not a huge trump fan he wasn't my first choice when you know, that when the Republicans were going the, through their phase that the Democrats are going through now, which is, hey, we got like 8000 people that want to be president. Let's whittle them down. Trump was not at the top of my list. I thought there were people that were better suited for the job. But with that said, I'm not in the anti-Trump crowd. I never understood that because I wasn't in the anti-Obama crowd, even though I didn't like his policies. I wanted the country to prosper under the President Obama. I think he did a lot of things that screwed that up, but I was never 
going out there with, you know, hey, Obama's an asshole or, you know, if you if you said half the things that are being said about Trump now about Obama, you were, of course, labeled a racist, which was, you know, the first time in history that just having a difference of opinion with the president, you were being labeled as a racist. But I think this also is an interesting. Technically, I think you were a racist because you had an opinion about the president while being white, which is exactly it. And I've seen people talking about this electoral college stuff and it's something we haven't hit on yet in the episode which is who is most changed when you were to if you're to take the electoral college out of existence who are you disenfranchising who are you taking power away from and i've seen a few people talking about this who everybody who isn't the exact majority in whatever demographic that you want to talk about if you are going to carve up the country in terms of demographics, then the the moment that you push all politics into mob rule, you are disenfranchising anybody who has 49% or less. Well, at this point, they're trying to take power away from you know white guys. The trick, by the way, the game theory then is to argue to carve up the country in the way that puts you in the 51%, and then you're good. You went, figure out a way to win the election and uh, play by the rules that are there, which nobody wants to do because. And the polling definitely came into that. I think Hillary going into election night was listening to the polls ready to celebrate. And there's nothing worse than that. When you think we've all had something happen in our lives where we thought, you know, you come to a certain day and you thought you were getting a job or you thought you were getting a raise. You thought, you know, Adriana Lima was going to show up at your door and say, I'm yours. You thought this was going to happen and it didn't. But you told me that was going to happen. I know. I keep telling you, but you, you believe things way too easily. I can understand why she had that, that reaction. She was told by everybody around her for probably two years. Like, yep, no way you're going to lose this. Hey, it's in the bag. Don't worry. It's in the bag. You're the winner. And then you get down to it and go, what? So it's a little harder to, a little harder to accept. And I don't think there's an easy fix to how do you make in a country like the United States is right now, where it seems that we're fairly under the current system split almost right down the middle at 50, 50. How do you make one side feel like they're not getting screwed? It's like, if you go to a base, you know, if you're on a, if you're a baseball team and you lose 10 to nothing, okay, you lost. Now, if you lose one to nothing in 34 innings, you feel like you probably should have won that game. I don't think that co- the country is not ready for my proposed solution because oh, but we are grumpy old Ben's is. Well, the answer is that when you have more than 300 million people governing them all with one set of policies is literally impossible. Uh, there's too much diversity. There's too many different things who need different things. And it's not just different needs. It's also different wants, different motivations, different incentives. Uh, it's too complex for a system like ours. And the only way to successfully govern that many people is to make government as large as your population and effectively go to a a (laughs) socialist authoritarian system, which uh, I don't want to be Europe. Uh, Right. So my suggestion, my solution, uh, which is not really workable in today's climate without some significant change is you push the power more local. This is why I am absolutely, when it comes to globalism, I'm a nationalist. When it comes to national policies, I am states' rights. When it comes to state legislature policy, I 
absolutely favor the local counties deciding I want control to be as local as possible on all levels of government, because that is the only way that you are going to get a small enough group of humans represented that you have even an inkling of a chance to support the needs of those people. And every single time that you decide that, uh, what's, what's the example? Uh, Amazon, uh, maybe 10 years ago, uh, had a huge push for both lobbying and, uh, in fact, a, a propaganda campaign where they said, uh, we need national policies on how sales tax is going to work across state lines because it is not inconvenient for our company to be required to have 50 different sets of sales tax rules that we need to do. And it's not just taxes. It's every single time that you have a national company saying, well, we can't handle 50 different sets of rules. And therefore, we're going to push for one overarching authoritative rule at the national level. And the other place that I've seen this a lot is is telecommunications, where people push for the FCC to take over the internet, among other things. Every time that you do that, you are consolidating power. You are forcing power toward one entity or one group. And in, in the case of lobbyists, it's obvious that they want, well, the group that we want is the company I represent. That's a clearly selfish thing to do. I can't. I, yeah, we haven't talked about net neutrality yet, even. Uh, have we? Yeah, that's that's a <laughs> that's, that's, uh, put so, a pin in that one for another show. But I, I'm fully with you on states' rights. Net neutrality obviously destroyed the entire internet, which is why we're we're doing this podcast over. Uh, right, we're not pigeon. able to do this live anymore on the No Agenda yeah. stream because net neutrality has ruined everything. You're not actually hearing us right now. No, but the the point is, that I was making is simply that if you push and consolidate power to well. That companies and groups who say it is too complicated to have 50 different sets of rules, we need one uh, rule at the national level, is is a little bit ridiculous because what you're saying is uh, we need to inconvenience everybody by pushing a national set of rules that might not work for their local area onto them just so that a company which is large enough to be national can have a little bit easier time which makes i mean i understand the sense it makes from their aspect oh it's absolutely a selfish thing which is it is a selfish thing which is the responsibility of a corporation i'm not saying that corporations shouldn't do that because they're selfish and they will do that and it would be silly for me to say they shouldn't i can try to shame them that seems to be a big thing on the internet but what i'm saying is that lobbyists should not have that power well no people can vote with their feet i mean if you're there's a lot of people getting out of New York. There's a lot of people getting out of California. There's a lot of people getting out of Illinois because of the way the state is being run. And you have other choices. Uh, going to a full national concept makes zero sense because the, as we talked about earlier, the average life, uh, the way of life in Wyoming, way different than the average way of life in New York. And you can't treat them the same and expect things to work it, it absolutely doesn't make sense this is why you know when we get to something national like a presidential election this is where things should start getting a little stickier to try to figure out how everybody gets represented in a fair way when it comes to the local stuff that should be easy yeah you know if alabama doesn't want abortions that's great move or don't do business with them but you know what if you're gonna walk away and say you know disney well we're not gonna 
we're not going to film any more movies here. Well, there's other companies going, well, we, we are going to bring movies here. It all works. You get to choose and choice. That's funny, too, right? Because the left, they want choice if you're talking about abortion. But it, not if the choice is no, then they want to punish you for making the wrong choice. It's not about diversity. It's not about choice. It's about pushing one side of an argument and not acknowledging the other people have a right to feel differently, which is why the Electoral College, again, is there because people freak the hell out when people vote differently than they do. Unintuitively, the only possible way that you are going to get an equitable way of governing Wyoming and New York is to let the people in Wyoming govern Wyoming and let the people in New York govern New York. That's it. Local power is the only way that you don't end up disenfranchising some area because you are trying to create a one size fits all government. Because as we've argued on this episode, one size does not fit all. In fact, it doesn't fit very many, which is why whenever somebody argues one size, that one size usually fits them and that's it. Yeah, obviously the question will then pop up as well when you get to a national office like the presidency. What should you know, who how do you choose a president if if you can't govern how do you choose a president who's going to represent both Wyoming and New York? And the answer is all of the ways that affect the individual in Wyoming and New York, uh, all of that legislation, all of that governance is not the job of the national president. You know what people in Wyoming and New York do have in common? They both want to not be destroyed by China or North Korea or whoever the scare tactic du jour. There's really nobody who can attack the U.S. in the world today. But if this was World War II, the, the people who don't want to be killed by Germany and Japan, Wyoming and New York are surprisingly solidarity in, in that. <laughs> they, they both want that. So national defense, probably something that you want to do at the national level. but building local roads. There's a, a lot of buildings in New York and there's a lot of mountains in Wyoming and you have to build the roads differently. And if you have one department in Washington, D.C. in charge of doing both, that's not going to work very well. So you leave it up to local governments. And I, the, I, the idea that all all government policies must be done at a national or, or increasingly global level is utterly ridiculous because they there it is impossible to draft a an equitable legislation that actually works and doesn't screw 95% of the people once you get to the details on the ground but of course socialism and and globalism are really about abstracting away the details on the ground and saying uh well we want equality at a high level and then the rest of the details will cover themselves which is why it doesn't work in practice. Well, I think some of the interesting things that people have used to say why the Electoral College should be abolished are interesting, including, well, you know, this system wasn't exactly how it was set out because one of the amendments when this country was originally put in with this whole election melees, the person that came in second in the presidential voting became the vice president an, an election melee is an election melee is what you get if you go to charlottesville or portland <laughs> these days but yeah yes yeah but that's the originally the person that came in second became the vice president and that was decided that that probably wasn't good but it shows you everybody you know hearing that right now is probably laughing thinking well what would have happened if hillary clinton was 
vice president to Donald Trump. What kind of a what kind of a sitcom would that have been? That would have been fucking hilarious. <laughs> it's something you would have got a TV package for. I, I, the the best thing about the Trump presidency is that uh, love him or hate him. It is by far the most entertaining presidency of my era. Well, there's no doubt about the, that. The, the shit show going on on both sides is just endless. Well, it, it's it's fodder for the journalism, which has become entertainment shows. Well, yeah, there's no doubt about that. But what it tells me is that when the country was first formed, and I guess it makes sense because that wasn't wasn't around long enough to have the bile and hatred between two major parties going on like we have today, which is really the problem we have. There absolutely was bile and hatred between the parties. It just when the country was founded, it was overshadowed by bile and hatred for the well, for the foreign government far away that was that proclaimed to have authority over people in the states. Never mind that the distance from New England to London, where King George was, is actually less than the distance from where I am or Alaska or Hawaii to Washington, D.C., where we've got the same damn situation. But I'm sorry. I keep ranting. Go on. <laughs> well, see, and you didn't think this was going to be a ranting episode, which is the beauty of the whole grumpy old Ben's concept. No, to be clear, I said I wouldn't have any content, but I can always rant. But, you know, imagine. See, the problem is, I think if Hillary Clinton was vice president that, you know, I don't know if. Donald Trump would still be alive. Vince Hoster. I mean, these kind of weird things happen around the Clintons. And I think that was the the brightest thing was to separate those, because if the person that comes in second is a heartbeat away from oh, the presidency, no, no, no. M- mentioning the Clinton kill list is a sure way to get deplatformed. Uh, but we're on the no agenda stream. We can't be deplatformed there unless they just destroy the whole stream. And that hasn't happened yet. So uh, but I'm just saying, allegedly, that, you know, bad things might have happened to Donald Trump, although if you believe some of these idiots like the kid from Florida, David Hogg claims that he's had like seven or nine assassination attempts and there's just all sorts of insanity going on. But again, this goes to prove my point that we have nothing in this country that can be easily resolved because we have such hatred now between the two political sides. But let's roll right back around to something I mentioned before, and I don't remember getting your take on the concept that. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Are, are those rails I see? We're trying to get to the rails. We have a we have a little clip from John Fletcher that says going off the rails. Besides those two states, Maine and Nebraska, 48 states give all of their electoral college votes to the person that wins, even if they win by one vote in the state. So if it's a 51, you know, just to make it easy, I understand it may not be a full 51 percent, but let's just say. You got 51% of the vote. You get all the electoral votes by one vote in the state after you've had enough recounts, of course. Right. Now, how do you feel about that? As far as taking that, which which do you like better? Do you like Maine and Nebraska, which say, well, we're going to give a percentage. So, hey, if this guy you know, got 30% of the vote, at least you're getting one of these electoral votes. And that I would to me, in all fairness, that would seem to make more sense. Is it would it be complete lunacy to have a system where the electoral college doesn't go a hundred percent state by state? Well, I feel like it wouldn't be the electoral college that we know anymore. So uh, I'm not really sure. I, 
I, but the states have the ability to do that. Other than the, you know, the, the one of the top arguments against the electoral college is that uh, one elector vote doesn't represent the same number of humans in California as it does in Utah, which is a valid argument. Uh, and we've discussed reasons why that might still be okay. But aside from that, if every state decided to apportion based on the popular vote, you would be very, very close to having the popular vote election for president that would happen if we abolished the, the system entirely. So I'm not sure what's- Well, you still have the protection, though. You still have the protection that these people could go, ooh, uh, we just elected you know, Tony Robbins. He's a, he's a flim not flim artist. Really. Uh, allegedly. Not really, because if every state uh, apportioned their votes by population, then even in in blue states like Utah, for example, uh, which is almost entirely, it is pretty much a solid, it is a solid a blue state. Uh, I'm sorry. It is as solid a red state as California is blue. There, there is no swing votes in Utah, but if they apportioned based on population, then what you would end up with is many votes from Salt Lake City, the population center, would be turn blue and you would well the, the bottom line of my point would be that the elector the, the the people that are actually sent to do the voting don't have to abide by what the public voted if they feel that the candidate is that much of a crook limb flam artist whatever you want to call them that would still be in place you would still have instead of a pure popular vote those people could still decide not to go by what their state did whether again that to me they would can. probably cause a civil war any which way which then i guess that almost makes the point to where it's like well then we should just have a popular vote because the protections that are there if, if they were ever used are going to screw us so much harder than just having a straight popular vote you know where's where's the winning hand here i don't i see i'm not really getting a clear case. It's like, I understand what the electoral college does. I understand the protections that it puts into place, but I also do see that it does have some drawbacks when it comes down to what some people might be like, well, this is what's fair. Well, it feels like you're playing the same. What if game as, as if, as the people saying, well, if the electoral college were disbanded and we went by the popular vote, then this would have happened. Right. And and what if is a very dangerous and difficult game to play because as we pointed out earlier if you change the rules after the election your results aren't valid if you change the rules before the election then millions of people who are voting are going to vote slightly differently based on their own game theory whatever it is that they do and so it's very very difficult to predict the outcome so you know what if this what if that what if this i i don't know if my grandpa had a sex change she'd be my grandma <laughs> wow that okay i know what's going to be the first audio clip that starts off the show but yeah i mean the, there is no easy answer so i'll give that an overall opinion any trying to figure out if uh, it, we, we're certainly not going to figure this out with an easy answer that hey we should just do this and everything would be fine because of the fact that this is way too complicated of an issue there is way too many places where Things can go wrong where improprieties could happen with votes. You know, in Chicago, the dead like to vote three or four times. 
So going to, you know, any system is going to be flawed. If you really do want an easy, unworkable answer, then I can give you one. And if everybody in the country just does what I say, then it'll all work out fine. And if you don't think that. See, now Progo has an interesting answer. Progo has an interesting answer by using an algorithm that would be everybody gets a vote, but people in rural areas somehow get a, you know, there's an algorithm that gives them a little bit more weight to try to balance things out. And that may be someplace that we'll be going in the future to figure out a fair way to do this voting thing. And I do think a lot of it is still a complete misunderstanding of the Electoral College and what they do. And I hope we did a pretty good job of explaining this today. But one of the reasons this went right to the top of my list was watching an interview. I I just want to call out in in the modern Google era, I have a difficult time trusting anybody who says we can apply an algorithm and that will fix things. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. You should be afraid. But I was watching an interview with Jack White of the White Stripes, and he's an interesting guy. He seems like an intelligent guy, Uh, you know, like Uncle Ted Nugent. He's never done drugs and he comes from a big family. He was going to be a priest. So he's a very bizarre kind of guy whoa, 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 when you look up, at Ted, entertainers. Ted Nugent has never done drugs. Is that what you just said? Yes. Ted Nugent has never touched illegal drugs, then which what is the why fuck happened to him. <laughs> I don't know. He finally started <laughs> drinking wine. His wife got him into better wines just a few years ago. Otherwise, he never touched drugs, never touched alcohol, which is why he would go through. I mean, I guess I always assumed <laughs> you figured that was the reason behind uh, behind the insanity of the Motor City Madman. It was the only explanation. Yeah, no, he just uh, his only vice was uh, teenage girls. And, you know, that's that's Uncle Ted for you. But uh, you can go to songs like Jailbait, Girl Scout Cookies and all these. And you can see maybe an insight in, into that, but all legal, allegedly. So I mean, we're not making any comments to that but yeah ted that's his rants have always been like you know she said she was 18 right yeah well, there's a, the song jailbait that's in there oh, she told me she oh, don't take the handcuffs off me there's a quote in that song take the handcuffs off me and put them on her officer i'll share her with you i mean i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying that was rock and roll from a different day and age which could never happen now in the social justice warrior insanity of taking words out of artistic context where I want to see a hit song come up with those lyrics today. I want to see the media shit show. Uh, you know what? There was, there was a song I saw the other day. I wish I could remember if I can find it. I will put a link in the show notes. It was a female singer that was basically the lyrics were you, uh, you make me want to be bad, you know, make it hurt. And I'm just like, okay, this just seems way out of the concept from what we have going on in this uh, particular climate. But you know, I digress. Uncle Ted always did go through his thing, though, with, you. hey, Jimi Hendrix, uh, Jim Morris and all these. He goes through a whole list and he's like, what do they have in common? They're still dead and I'm still Ted. I mean, that's one of his long things. And he always attributed that to, you know, not doing drugs, not doing alcohol. And I don't know about the alcohol part, but according to Jack White, he has also never touched any illegal drugs in his life. And he just came out against the mainstream media again for clickbait. Because somebody asked him why the raconteurs took so long between their two albums. It was like 10 years. He does a lot of stuff, obviously, in between. But his answer was, well, Brendan, you know, while he was getting off alcohol, whatever, he was in rehab. I start doing heroin. And it was a joke. But the clickbaiters ran with Jack White does heroin. And this is where people in the, you know, that are in entertainment who like to be liberals. I think even they're going to start coming out against the mainstream media for painting a picture which is obviously false. You can't even make that joke anymore of, 
well, you know, I just started doing heroin. That's why the album took so long. You can't say a joke like that without people taking you seriously or printing it, even if they know it's not serious. And he was, this was an interesting 45 minute interview with somebody over in the UK. It was uh, probably on the BBC, but he was talking to a guy. And the first thing he talked about, they asked him, why have you never wound up in the music centers of the United States? Why haven't you wound up in LA? Why haven't you wound up in New York? Because Jack White, he's in Detroit, he's in Nashville. So a little bit out of those two major areas. And Jack White said, well, you know what? I tried going to LA and New York and the people in LA and New York, the thing that I noticed that really pissed me off was everybody seemed to talk and act like they knew what they were doing and they had no fucking clue. That's why he preferred, you know, being in Detroit, being in Nashville, because that was his big city vibe, LA and New York. People acted like they knew what they were fucking doing, had no clue. And then they, the, the, concept of trump comes up and his answer is well you know if we got rid of the electoral college we wouldn't have this problem and i'm like holy shit how do you not see what you just said categorizing new york and la the people there how do you not put that together with what the electoral college is doing to protect against those major metropolitan areas for setting the tone for the whole rest of the country. So even people like Jack White, who I think pays attention to this kind of stuff, still have no concept of what the Electoral College does. They think it's bad because whatever, you know, because they're seeing it on the mainstream media, even though he knows the mainstream media is putting clickbait out about him. But obviously he doesn't think that, you know, all he sees is Elizabeth Warren and a couple other people who are presidential hopefuls for the Democrats coming out saying that hey, we want to get rid of this electoral college. It's bad. So he's just going along with that part. I don't know, but it just, it really, it really stuck in my craw, if you will, that somebody that just talked about why they would not want to personally live in LA or New York. Instead, they'd rather live in someplace like Nashville or Detroit and then speak out against the electoral college. It seemed to me to be a big disconnect, but I really do think that kind of sums up a vast majority of people in the country and the fact that they don't even know what the electoral college is, except well, they're hearing it's unfair because everybody's vote doesn't count. And that really is not the truth. What do you think? I don't think that there's anything that I'm going to be able to say about or uh, to tear down the mainstream media that they're not doing far worse on their own. I'm enjoying the shit show of the mainstream media tearing themselves down. And I think that, that just hanging on for the ride is about all we can do. Hang on, white knuckle it and hope that in the next election cycle, which is coming up and it's it's sad that we're going through these, these primaries when they're still what July, August, September, October, November, 12, 17 months until the election. I mean, that's another big problem with this country is that the the pre-show is way longer than the shit show. It's only a problem if you hang on every word for the two years that it goes on. If you just lay back and let it go on and stay the fuck off Twitter and Facebook, because that's where the shit show gets splattered. You can ride along and, and generally, uh, you know, you just lay back, have a doobie or whatever it is you do. And uh, yeah, and in the troll room, in the troll room, Progo is absolutely right. Progo is absolutely right. He said, 
Trump played to win by the rules that were there. Without the rules, he would have probably found a way to win. And that really, uh, whether how I feel about the Electoral College, I think it's good. If the rules were different, Trump would have played by the different rules and he would have played to win there, too. And probably would have won. Uh, maybe. Right. And that, that would be the only reason I would like to see the Electoral College go away is if, if it could act, especially if it could happen before the next election and then have Trump win again, because half the country would kill themselves. Pretty sure. Which would be be a pretty terrible tragedy <laughs> that would, i i i don't no. i don't agree that that would happen uh and, and i really i'm pretty sure that people would most people would not kill themselves and i think that's a good thing because a lot of people are more than their political views well you know that i mean again that's just that is, that is slightly pushing a, a concept uh, out of reality but they, they would melt down is that a better way to go uh there there would be wailing and gnashing of teeth uh it wouldn't be half the country uh one of the things that the internet in particular and the media in general is very very good at is finding a tiny minority of people who are losing their fucking minds about one thing or another and amplifying the shit out of them so that it looks like those are the majority. And they're not. They're just little small people who are really unhinged about something. And that's one of the reasons why you need to not pay close attention to the media shit shows, because they amplify things that are really not big deals. You asked me at the beginning of this podcast, the one that that I told you we wouldn't have more than 20 minutes of content because I don't have much for <laughs> and we've been talking for an hour and a half now. You asked me if I supported the electoral college or if I thought it should be changed and maybe it should be changed and maybe it's not. I think that the real tragedy would be if the people ha- who say we should ignore the electoral college have their way. Because the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, does provide a means of changing it if something really needs to be changed. And it's hard to change. And right. that, that's the reason why people are saying they should end run around it or ignore it is because they don't want to go through the work of trying to change it. But if the Electoral College really is bad for everyone, then let's start the process of changing it and putting in something better. But if it's not bad for everyone, then you're not going to get the votes required to change the constitution. And that is a good thing because if it's not bad for everyone, or if it's only good for 50.05% of people, then saying you want to change or even worse saying to ignore it is selfish and is despicable and is corrupt. And what you need to do is live within the rules that we have or change the rules. Stop proposing that everybody ignore them. Because the the lack of following the law is never going to lead to a solution that is not going to get bloody and, and really, really bad in something like a civil war going on. And like I said, I don't think there's any easy answer here. I understand every side of the argument that, you know, I understand the one vote should get equal meaning as the next vote. But I also understand that this was put into place for a specific reason by people that seemingly have made otherwise some pretty good choices in how they set this country up. And we have to remember that we are a republic. We are not a democracy. There is a difference, even though a lot of people call America a democracy. It is not. There's a way of doing things. There are some checks and balances. No, no, it's it's an oligarchy. Well, there are checks and balances put in. One of them is the Electoral College. And 
Is it a system that's going to work perfectly? No, but is it the best system out there? Probably from what I have seen, because it does equalize the playing field among the states that have a ton of population as opposed to the states that have very little population. We don't want the little states to be completely forgotten, completely run over. And that is what happens if you let a majority vote rule. Because again, when you look at the demographics of the country, a majority of the country lives in a minority of the landmass. So how you equate those things, how you try to equalize those things, how you try to make things fair is a big part of whether a country works and or whether it doesn't. And I think growing up, we've all had parents that did things that we didn't like, but they were probably for the betterment of our life. And, you know, you don't get everything you want. You learn lessons and you don't go out and scream into the sky if you don't get your way or if you do. You certainly shouldn't be rewarded for that by, uh, you know, somebody turning over a presidential election. So it's interesting to me knowing that the states can choose how many of those votes go. Those two states that don't give 100 percent of the votes, that maybe is a place to look. But changing the rules does change the amount of people that are going to come out to vote and who's going to come out to vote. So the, the concept is. Would this really change any previous election? Would there have been any different winners? We don't know. You can never know. You can never tell. You certainly can't go by what the polls say because the polls have been historically wrong. You have to really look at something as a system totally outside of any previous elections and go, well, what is the most fair way to do this? And I would have a hard time coming up with a much better solution than the one that is put into place, even though some of these checksums now like, well, you know, if we think the president that was elected by the people of the state is bad for business and really a whack job, the electors don't have to place their votes for him. Like we said, I don't think that could ever happen in this day and age without shit hitting the fan. So that that's my only questioning of this whole system is that when some of the checks and balances seem to be ones that could never actually happen without worse things going on. I don't know how you equate those things and how you make it good, but I do think it's a better system than anybody else has going on, which is a reason why this country, even though there's a lot of people screaming on both sides, uh, it's still, it's still running. It's still going. We haven't collapsed. We didn't get any of these horrible things, you know, well, Trump's going to get us in nuclear war. He's crazy, but mark my words. I think you will after the next election, if Trump wins again, You're definitely going to get tons of people calling for the abolishment of the Electoral College. But I also think if he wins in that month between Election Day and when these electors actually place their votes, I think you're going to be hearing people calling for them to not vote him in. In other words, business as usual, same thing that happened in 2016. (laughs) But louder and maybe meaner with a milkshake or two. Well, I think we've got a podcast here. Unless you've got unless you've got more rants, no more rants. But I have an executive producer. It was refreshing to step back and and let you be the one to rant for five minutes at a time this time. Well, I know your voice needed a little bit of rest. We got to get that cough out of there. If there's any anybody can prescribe something really good to knock out a cough, reach out to uh, Sir Bemrose. I, I, I have lots of things that will that will guarantee stop the cough, but I am not going to be 
a good podcaster in under the influence of those. <laughs> Absolutely right. We do have an executive producer. Big thanks to Sir James Howard of Indianapolis. Uh, his comments, great podcast so far. Looking forward to the next episode. And here we are. We're doing that next episode. So we hope you enjoyed this episode, Sir James. And uh, thank you for the contribution. We do work on a value for value model. We never really thought about all that one starting this thing up. But uh, there are a few expenses. And every now and then, Sir Bemrose needs cold medication. And I like to buy record albums and all the crazy stuff that I talk about over at Random Thoughts. And it's been a lot of fun to do this. Doing this thing live today on the No Agenda stream with the troll room going on, people showing up. It's something when you start a podcast, and Ryan and I have talked about this. It's like you you don't really ever expect anybody than you know maybe a couple friends to show up. And when you start hearing from people that maybe you've never even communicated with before, that are like, "Hey, good show!" It's it's absolutely mind blowing, and we really, really, really appreciate the support that we've been getting. Uh, somebody in the troll room uh, made the comment earlier during this podcast. I don't know if if you saw it, Sir Bemrose, that said. Uh, this show's better than no agenda. And I, I just kind of like got a chill up my back for that one. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to say I agree or disagree with that. That is, that is an amazing compliment that I, uh, I, I appreciate the compliment, but I think uh, I'm, I'm still a little too new to podcasting to register any kind of agreement with it. So I'll just say thank you. And yes, we're, we're getting, we're getting there though. We've got you, we're, you know, at first you were so shy. You didn't want to say anything. So we appreciate when you open up, I still hate my voice, <laughs> Your but you, you get me angry um, and triggered enough. And I'm going to shout in that voice anyway. It works for me. So again, Sir James Howard of Indianapolis, thank you for con- your contribution. If you want to send something over to us, you can go to grumpy The little donate button is there. We always appreciate comments, good and bad. Usually the good ones go to Darren at grumpyoldbenz.com and the bad ones to Ryan at grumpyoldbenz.com. But either way, we will all find out what you're saying. And again, we're most happy that people are listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed yet, it would do us a big favor if you could go hit one of those subscribe buttons on Grumpy Old Benz for iTunes or Android or your favorite podcast or reader of choice. Or hell, there's even the opportunity there. Just hit uh, subscribe via email and every time a new show drops immediately you will get an email in your email box with a link to the show so you never have to miss one even little chunk of wisdom from sir ryan bemrose when he's he goes off on a rant and i just sit here and try to uh and keep the reins in uh, a current chunk of wisdom if if you don't want to subscribe you can just download each episode and you'll still get the same grunky old bins and you can always go to the no agenda stream.com and there's always good stuff going on 24-7. Listen to shows all day, all night. You're going to find something that you like and a few shows you don't, but you can turn those off. <laughs> Congressional dish. Um, but nobody will nobody will fault you for that one. So thanks for listening. Wow. Call out society. Thanks for coming along for the ride. Until next time, from deep in the heart of middle America, just outside of Chirac, I I'm Darren O'Neill. And from America's left coast, where the fireworks and milkshakes are flying in equal numbers, I'm Ryan Bemrose. Later. Uh